Becca. So we have a live professional musician uh, that we get to interview today. So that made me think about uh, my experiences of attempting to learn to play instruments. So, oh. so I was probably about 11 or 12, and for whatever reason, I wanted to learn to play the piano. So I asked my, my parents for uh, lessons, and they were definitely not going to buy me a piano, way too expensive. So they, they, they ended up buying me a keyboard, and I was pretty good, but what I learned was you have to actually practice to get better at this, at, at playing music. Yeah, I do. So I was wondering, do you have any uh, stories of learning uh, to play music, or...? I have quite a few, actually. Um, I think I, I really am attracted to music, and I would love to be able to play music. And I think, and I was always sort of a theatery person, so it was always a big part of my life, music. And I think I was searching probably for my creative outlet as a child all the time. Um, and of course, everyone wants you to do music. So I remember the fir my first incident with music learning was with um, violin. They had violin every time we had to sign up for it if you wanted to do violin and all this stuff and I remember clearly that my autistic brain did not understand the question about signing up or what we had to do or what was required of us and I felt like I had to sign up for some reason and I wasn't interested in violin at all but I had misunderstood the instructions and signed myself up for violin so <laughs> I was in this violin class and it was extremely difficult for me and on top of it um, I was in like third grade so when a bunch of third grade are trying to learn violin it's not very sensory friendly and so it was really uncomfortable for me to be in this classroom um, and so I ended up you know telling my mom what happened and being embarrassed and having her get me out of the class and whatnot later than that I was attempted piano was attempted um, again something I didn't know about myself is that I have dyspraxia which came with my diagnosis and that makes piano really hard because it's fine motor coordination um, so there was a lot of hands on my hands and trying to get my hands in the right places and that was uncomfortable for me and I kind of threw my hands in the air about instruments and said forget that um, until I was in my early 20s and I was bartending and when I was bartending I thought well now I'm like there's enough drunk people around me that I don't have to be embarrassed about it but I really want to learn how to play drums so I decided to, we had live music and I was friends with some of the drummers and I got one of their kids' old kits because I'm really tiny, so I fit in a kid's kit for drums. And I tried to learn drums, but again, dyspraxia being the culprit that it is, I cannot do feet and hands together. So feet and hands together makes my <laughs> life complicated. And thereby went the drums. So instead, I just became a really big groupie and I tried to do management for a while. And that was the most that I could do in the music world. Um, but now I use it for with teaching. I use it in my teaching music um, because I don't know if you've seen the movie Inception, but in the movie Inception, right, they talk about how you're going to these deep dream states and they can put you into the deep dream states and what you need to get out of them is this kick. And they kicks can come in different forms. They can be, um, you know, physical or they can be memories and they can be music, whatever. And the idea of a kick is something that I explain to my students all the time that sometimes when we get in our loops, and we are in kind of a, a loop, of, a negative loop about ourselves, and we need to get out, is we need a kick to get out. Sometimes we need the kicks to get out of inertia. And music is a fantastic kick. Music will 
um, can take your brain to good memories in about an instant. Um, music can create good memories for you and solidify them. It can change your mood um, in like no time, right? So to me, I think music is this, this like essential kit for autistics. It's one of those outside sources that we can count on to trick our brains into moving around. So yeah, I, I have a history with music. And that brings us to our, our guest today. Yes, it does. I'm very excited to say that we have someone else who can talk about the love of music besides me, and that is Bruce Petherick. He is a neurodiverse composer and musician, born in Melbourne, Australia, and now living in Canada. He spent many years recording and touring with various bands and sundry styles, and he now concentrates on playing and recording his own music. He invites the listener into his music, letting them hear the intimate sound of the piano to let the music emerge rather than trying to force it. His music is heavily influenced by classical music, especially Ravel, Debussy, and Coquelin. And more important, contemporary sounds like Ryuki Sakamoto, Oliver Arnold, Nils Fram, and Max Richter. So please welcome Bruce. Hi. Hey, <laughs> Bruce. How are you? Welcome to our little show here uh, where we talk about our neurodiverse interests. So uh, I'm sure that Doug has his questions ready because he always does research. So I will <laughs> let him get over and start. Well, I don't want to assume anything, Bruce, but is music a special interest for you? And if so, how did it come about initially? Um, definitely music is a special interest. Music is my big special interest. Um, funnily enough, when you, you, you both were talking about music lessons as a kid, I was hoping you weren't going to ask me because um, I didn't have music lessons until I was in high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. My, my dad's a really, really good piano player, and we had a piano in the house, but it was never encouraged for me to do it. And then I went to a high school that just fortunately was a music specialist high school, and we were allowed to have free lessons on any instrument. So... Duck to water. <laughs> I, I studied um, in Australia or well, in Queensland when I went to high school. We started high school at grade eight. So in grade eight, we had generalized music lessons, music classes. But then from grade halfway through grade eight to all the way through grade nine, I studied doing percussion and then clarinet. And then I was encouraged to conduct and I arranged a musical in grade 11 and 12. I was music director in grade 12. And all along the way, I was just going home and playing the piano and playing and playing and playing. So I didn't actually have a lesson until I was at university doing music. Wow. That's and so, yeah, I have, but, but from the point that I started to realize that music was special for me, I played for yeah. three to five hours a day. And, and it, it didn't just, feel like work, I'm guessing. Like it did for me to have not. to practice and for Doug to have to practice. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, more time. more, Still more time. That was always how I felt. <laughs> it was just very difficult for me. And so it's interesting, I think, when we, what that experience is like for us and our brains when we have that duck to water experience, when we kind of give in to our special interest and it gets more, uh, I guess, formed, right? More more formed by people's kind of teachings, right? We get to really yeah. learn it rather than just our explorations out into the void, right? And so I think it's really interesting um, because there are some topics for which I, you know, am 
it's my strength. I fall into it. If I'm duck to water to it, same thing. Um, and that I'm not interested enough in it to care. And so it doesn't matter that I'm good at it. It just, it's like, yeah, but so what? Right. And so music was always one of those things for me that I was always jealous of musicians and people that could make their bodies do what their brains were hearing. And so I'm fascinated by it. And I think it's amazing. Actually, it's funny. I have a, I know all about economics, but I do not care when I have all. Money is a bad thing for me. I know all the rules and how it works and the, the mega structure, the macro structure, some micro structures, but it's like, who cares? Nope, don't care. And that, I think that's a, a, that is the autistic brain in a nutshell. Oh, I know that. I just don't care. Like, <laughs> I'm just not interested. And so that's kind of, I feel like, how our connections happen. We're like, if we're interested, the connections just become their own machine and they go off on their own thing. Um, but when we don't care, man. Yeah, it's yeah. economics. I agree. I agree. So, so Bruce, you didn't have um, music lessons early on. So, are you saying that music lessons are way overrated? Which hat do you want me to wear? Um, <laughs> I was also really good at soccer, and I have the same response: is that I think every child should play sport, and every child should play music, but. That sense of, of doing four lessons a week as an eight-year-old and or doing three instruments when you're eight and and um, the kids in sports who go to, to, to um, skills camp over the summer, and it's like, it's too much. You're not having fun. Have those things available for those kids who, who glob on to it. Please go for it. But otherwise, it's just like everybody just needs to have to enjoy it. Yeah. I used to teach you know, in Australia. I used to teach private music lessons in the school, and I was a specialist in the uh, under eight year old kids, and then the ones who are in the last two years because I can handle them. But the ones in the middle, I basically said to them, "Come back to tell me. Come back between the ages of ten and fourteen. Go and play. I don't mm-hmm. care." Go out to the garden, come and see me when you're 14 and 15, and come and tell me if you're interested in continuing, because that's that's the kids that I want to, I want to work with. Right. Yeah, yes. we're, we're like, nobody's ready until that age to really get serious about anything, right? And I feel like anything you get forced into before that phase, you're like, meh, don't like it, thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> I was forced. Yeah, I, I agree. Also, I think it turns more people off that sort of forced lessons and the competitions involved. Uh, and so you get a whole bunch of kids, people at like 18, finish high school and go, I'm never going to do that again. Mm-hmm. Which is sad. To me, it's sad anyway. No, it's really sad. And the dogs like the music, you can tell. Yeah, you can hear them all now, right? I have a woodpecker outside my house. And so every time the woodpecker packs, you bark at the woodpecker and it goes away and then it comes back two minutes later. <laughs> that is the current state of affairs in my house right now. Going musical house. <laughs> now, Bruce, uh, uh, I guess it's a coincidence, but uh, you have new music that's out today. Uh, I have a new. I have a new. Let's call it an album because it's a weird world. That actually released on October thirty first, and I have a single. From the album that was released October 9th. So I'm kind of in the middle of the 
single single album sort of release schedule. Yeah. That's so fantastic. Yeah. During um when COVID started um in February, March here, I was um, asked to do a nightly performance. Mm. And so for 170 odd shows, days in a row, I played 30 minutes on Facebook. Yeah. Mm. And I missed, it was like one I missed because I was not feeling so physically, I was feeling physically sick. And then there's a couple of autistic moments where it's like, oh, it's too overwhelming, I'm going to stop. Um, mm. But what I would do the next day is very often re-record something that happened on the night before into a, a bigger piece. So mm -hmm. the pieces for this album were all, they were all recorded in the COVID period uh -huh. um, and stimulated from a, a live performance before. So it's kind of cool. That is COVID neat. Album. I love it. Yeah. So it's available where? Where can we get it? Um, yeah, all the streaming services. So it's only a digital release at the moment because it's, it's too expensive to record CDs and not mm. people buy them. So <laughs> Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon. Um, I, I got I got told by my distributor that the single is now available on TikTok. And I say, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what to do with instrumental piano music on TikTok, but that's okay. TikTok, it's available. Wow, so it's available everywhere. So I'm excited yeah. to listen to it after this because I didn't get a chance to listen to it before this. Oh, my crazy dogs. Okay. <laughs> so um, we're excited to see kind of what kind of music you're inspired to play. And I know I read your bio out loud, and so we know it's inspired a little bit by classical music. But can you kind of explain to everybody how, how you kind of come to a performance and come to a piece that then becomes bigger? Yes. Um... I've always been very good at improvising, and as I've got older, the improvisations are becoming more like compositions. Um, and I've been very, I was lucky enough to go to be invited to a, a residency in the Banff Center for the Creative Arts, up here, which is actually just west of me here, but I, it's a place I'd actually gone to twice when I was in Australia. Um, and I was in a, in a residency called The Art of Stillness that was run by the author Goaya. And we explored what stillness meant to the various arts practices. And it, I had just, a CD that was released just before that, I had just started to explore that myself. So what I'm looking at is the idea, the music is still, but there's lots of movement within them. that's stillness. Um, and very much the rhythm and phrases are not regular squares. It's all very free-flowing. Um, and I've always been, I've wanted to, to get rid of the concept of being hit over the head with a with beat. Um, and, and so I, it's it's very fluid, yet there's, there's rhythm and tempo changes and pulse going on all the time, just sometimes a little harder to pick up. And that's one of the things I said in the bio about too many people want 
music delivered. And uh, this is this is you stop trying to get the deliver and just let it happen. It's a little zany as well, I suppose. Um, and of course, it's I think it's very autistic. It is very autistic, and I talk. I actually, when I teach, talk about stillness a lot because I think we find our solutions in the stillness, right? I think we're kind of taught by society that we need to stay kind of, um, kind of rushing and moving all the time, and kind of if you're not doing something about it, that active doing, that you're not somehow participating, and yet the stillness gives you the things to take action on. Right. And it gives you those answers. And so kind of I always say if you are feeling overwhelmed, the stillness will answer you. Like if you're feeling overwhelmed about everything that's going on, make it all stop and take your time in the stillness because your brain will prioritize for you in that stillness where you need to focus. You know, and so I think we, we have lost the skill set of stillness and silence and being comfortable being alone. We have taken from people. So it's important. Do, do you know Pico's book? Which is the art of stillness? Have you have you yes. read that? Yeah. Yeah. So it was really interesting. I think that's some things he was talking about, and um, at this residency, we had I think twenty-four people all around the world, different arts practices, and how everybody was looking at stillness in different ways was was, was absolutely fantastic. Um, and in fact, a very good friend of mine, Erica, who lives in Chicago, teaches at the Art Institute there. She said on, on the day one, she said, oh, stillness is really, think, what did she say? It confronts the audience. Mm. And it's like, you bet it does. Yeah. yeah. There's I nothing really like that, that makes a group of people more comfortable than silent, uncomfortable. Than silence, <laughs> yeah. right? You create right. a silence and everyone's like, they want to fill the silence instantly. Right? And sitting in that silence can be uncomfortable for people. And if it's uncomfortable for you, you have to practice. Practice yes. in your silence. Right. When there's silence, people are like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> you know, yeah. there's panic. They're like, "What can I say to fill this void?" <laughs> Actually, it's it's funny that um, uh, coincidentally at, at this conference again, we had a, a woman named Laurie Brown, and Laurie at the stage was uh, at that time was um, a senior journalist at CBC, and she had a, a program that used to run at I think twelve o'clock at night. And she was telling us that there's a lot of music she couldn't play on the radio because if the, the main um, broadcaster hears silence, they think something's wrong. So they keep oh. on trying to switch something else on. So she would have this like, piece of John Cage or something, or even you know, contemporary pop music with silence. But she had to warn the people, that the, the actual main CBC, you think there's silence here, don't, don't stop it. Uh, oh my god, that's crazy. That's how uncomfortable we are with silence. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Bruce, you were talking a little bit earlier about improvisation and how you, you're, you're really good at it. Do you feel like that's something that can be taught or is that more about paying attention to your intuition, your inner voice, and just trusting that? What's the difference? Mm. So, so yes, 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 it can be taught, I think, and part of what you're teaching is allowing people to be listening to themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in group improvisation is to listen to other people with an open heart. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's
that's difficult. I think that's one of the most difficult things, but it, it, it can be taught definitely, 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 definitely. Too much, especially in classical musicians, um, classical musicians are often not, they don't want to take risks mm. because they're told they'll fail. And it's like, no, you need to risk. You, you just, you need to go out there and, and fail spectacularly is your mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. Or it'll take you in a different direction that you never had considered before. I think that's the truth for no matter what your career path, no matter what your profession or what you do with the majority of your time, right? I mean, it really is really just learning the art of listening. And if you can learn the art of listening, which you can, you get better at them kind of teaching, right? Because I think learning is all about listening and teaching is about kind of sharing what you've listened to for a very long time, I guess. And so, um, and I think in that listening, you kind of parse through your own thoughts, right? You make through your decisions, you know, this works for me, this doesn't work for me. And you, you kind of create your own truths in there. Um, but I think a lot of people do live this rigid life of rules that are created for them by this outside source um, and never question those rules either, um, which shocks my autistic brain on a regular basis. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Question. you know, I don't, I don't trust enough, I guess, to just take people's word for it. I need to know why. You know? Trust, that's an interesting you've said trust because that's something I'm realizing. I find it very difficult to trust people in social situations in general, but it's so much easier to trust people in a musical situation. And I think I can pick up authenticity or honestness in honest honestness anyway, in music than I can in social situations. So right. it's, it's kind of interesting. Like uh, trust is a is a trust is the thing I have in my big autistic problem that I have. I think it's for a lot of us who've made it through a non-diagnosed life to a certain point. Um, that is part of the kind of cross that we that we bear. You know, is that that's part of that trauma and just not trusting people because our realities were invalidated on such a regular basis that you stop trusting yourself. But then when you find out that your reality was valid, then you don't trust anybody else who told you that it wasn't. And so it's, it does kind of, it really messes with your ability to trust other people's experiences. Like when they say, Oh, I've done this before. Here's what I know. It's hard for me to trust that because I know my experience of that will be entirely different. Um, And so I've never really, I've always had to, I'm a learner who has to learn by doing is always what I say. And I think a lot of us autistics are, we learn by doing, like I have to learn. I can trust you by trusting you a little bit first and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and it is, um, some of it I think is a trauma response and I can't quite at this age, pick it apart from my autism because they're so closely linked. So I'm working on it, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's part of our, what happens <laughs> to us, I think. That's interesting. I've never considered the. I was diagnosed five years ago, so quite late, um, and it's opened up a window for me and how the earlier my earlier life made a lot more sense. What I'm not seeing or picking up just like miss in, in through a mist is trauma that unrecognized trauma, mm-hmm. which is interesting. 
it's tough for us. Unrecognized trauma. I mean, especially in our world, right? Because it's not what traumatizes an autistic person out in the world isn't the same as what traumatizes everyone else. And so much like our interests are different, our traumas are different too. And so when we try ourselves to categorize our experiences, whether they're trauma or not, we are using that guide from other people, you know, with a neurotypical experience of the world instead of an autistic guide to trauma, which would look very different, right? Um, all the times that, you know, you risked being your authentic self and it didn't pan out and masking was the better choice and all, you know, and all of those traumas, those are traumas. They are repetitive traumas. Every time our reality was invalidated, oh, the sun's too bright, it hurts my eyes. The sun can't hurt your eyes. It's not that bright out. Every time that that experience happens, there's trauma, you know, accrued for us. I, I have been playing music for a 40 odd years and the music I'm creating now is the first honest Bruce. Um, I think, yeah, with the diagnosis and with a very supportive partner, um, I realized that I was masking a lot, but also creating music, doing what other people wanted, Mm -hmm. which, you know, okay, you can earn a living that way, but um, being encouraged to be honest with what I'm doing has been very freeing, even though still I listen to something thinking, oh, well, that's not like this person, this person, this person, mm-hmm. therefore no one will like it. And, and, and actually, I had a text this morning from a pretty well-known film composer saying, keep doing what you're doing. It's obvious that this is unique and it's you. And I was like, ah, yes, external <laughs> validation is still needed. Yes, exactly, definitely. Right. It's just I think we we after our diagnosis, who we take our external validation from is what changes. So like whose opinions matter to us change after our diagnosis. I think as we we learn to grow into our authentic selves, we realize that we don't need the advice from certain other people. We need it from certain particular people. And, you know, we need to shut out the rest because it's not useful. It's not helpful for growth. Bruce, um, beyond music becoming uh, a career for you, how do you see that this special interest helping you in other ways? That's a, sorry, there's the four seconds of silence for the radio to turn us (laughs) on. That's a very good question. I think music and Bruce and autism have become more and more unified as I've gotten older. And so it's funny, I recognize music as a special interest, but it's such a core part of me. And I don't think of it, um, I don't think of the music being external. It's, it's, mm. it's, it's just part of me. Um, so it, my entire life is mediated through music or how I have approached music. Mm. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. In fact, I would love to hear you ask that question to the next 10 guests, because <laughs> I would love to hear their response to, right. to, to um, how they, how they um, answer the question. It's um, interesting because like for you and for me, with some of my special interests, I feel that way. But I think that when you 
find a special interest that you are a duck to water to and that from that you're able to build a career out of it and, and able to do what you truly love to bring you income, I think that's the win, right? So that it does feel like an extension of you. And we don't just hear that in autism world. We hear that all over the place. Do what you love, right? And the stuff that you're more passionate about is the stuff that you should be following. That's your purpose, right? We hear that stuff not just all over. And it, so it makes sense for us, right? You will be the most successful and be able to sustain the best something that you truly love right yeah. and that you're really good at that's your strength right that's where we should be going and then for some of us like for me um, a lot of my special interests weren't in that category of things that could make me money that could you know mm -hmm. that where the adults in my life could take those interests and gear me into a career right or that I would fall into a career with those interests um, and so I've, I think I've struggled a lot to find what you have with music, with something that I'm doing. Um, and so to, to kind of, I, I think my special interests were always my, for a long time, they were my secret reward to myself, right? For a long time, they were my, you made it through this week, congratulations. Um, go do what you love, go spend some time, don't tell anybody though. And so that was a lot of um, my experience with special interests. And so I think what I hope people will get from our conversations is that when we as human beings, not just as autistics, follow what we're passionate about. Um, we live a better life, right? And instead of trying to chase this this other version of success, um, we should be chasing a version of success that looks like that marrying of what you love and what you're good at, right? I've never understood, <laughs> never understood people doing things that wasn't maybe not the passion, but our passion, people who who just work nine to five doing something. And I, I, I think I, I look at it and go, why would you do that? What, what, it's giving you money, but what's, what's that going to do for you? Right. And so that's yeah. something for me, like, I never made sense to me, but I could never find an alternative, right? I could never say, oh, that's wrong because here's the right way to do it until now. Now I can, <laughs> but I couldn't. I think that was always a struggle for me to sort of make that all make sense. How can I, what I love, everyone tells me is not so good for me to love and all of these things and, and you know, that's stuff I should be doing in my own free time and stuff like that. <laughs> and so I think that's a struggle that those of us on the spectrum find, but I think fortunately, um, the world of entrepreneurship is opening up to us and that is helping to mediate that situation um, a lot better for us. But I sure wish that I could take back all the time that I did nine to five doing something that I didn't really enjoy. Um, you know, I, I really wish I could have, could get that time back, but I think we all learn that, I suppose, in our own different ways. Yeah, um, yeah and my love for cats just never really <laughs> got me anywhere. <laughs> I mean, I, well, it, you know... Occasionally, I mean, I vet tacked a little bit, but I had to work with dogs too, so that was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, that it's it's a struggle, and it's something I think we, as people on the spectrum, need to pay more attention to because when we yeah. filter into it, we, we really do succeed in our own way, and we feel good on top of it, which is amazing. Well, I have a special interest is trains. And I don't see that as being a career, which is really funny. Right. So what do you do with it, right? Yeah. 
And that's and and I think that's the I think that's what we've been been stuck with is that self limiting belief of what do I do with it? Like, and there's no one behind us going, well, here's what you could do, and what about this, and what about that? And though that's the guidance that we I think we need more of. Yeah. Here's how to be creative with your special interest. Here's what to make of it, do with it, how to use it, utilize it really um, in our lives. True. Yeah. Well, Bruce, we conclude every um, episode of the InfoDump Files with something called Inside the Autistic Studio, which is Becca and my spin on Inside the Actor's Studio, where it's a it's an 11... Our version is 11 questions, um, just to kind of get to know our guests a little bit better. So th the first question is, what are your pronouns? He, him. And what is your preferred stim? Um, I rock, just as I am now. What is your favorite curse word? This is where my country of my birth, Australians swear a lot. Yes. <laughs> really swear a lot. Um, and so I, I, I think the first word that, that I use that people find amusing is bother. Oh. Because it's something that people don't say very much in Canada. Um, I don't have a favorite, but I do. I know when I say bother, it, it really amuses my, my family. And I think that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you love and what are you doing about it? Well, I'm, I'm desperately in love with my wife and um, I'm deciding to try and spend the rest of my life with her. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Good I'm answer. About that. Good. Me too. <laughs> you, you may be neurotypical if... You don't get me. <laughs> You may be autistic if you do get me. <laughs> I, 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 it's funny. I, I often tell my students. It's part of my part of my work. I, I teach music theater and, and choir to my souls. And there's a number of autistic kids. And I always, when I, they kind of look at me in a different way. And I say, I'll, I'll show you the secret handshake. And they look at me and go, Yeah, you're autistic. I know. We have a secret handshake. So I think mm -hmm. it's the handshake. Yeah, we do know each other when we see each other. <laughs> what, what's something you want to learn to do or be better at? I've learned recently that I can read languages, but I can't speak them very well. Um, and that I think is something I would, I would love to be able to speak better languages that are not in English. I'd like to be able to speak English. <laughs> uh, what autistic social media account should people be paying attention to? Um, I really, I, one of the, uh, when I first was diagnosed, uh, I met Kelly Brun Johnson, your guest for a previous episode. And I think Kelly's uh, social media is, is is important um, um, on her Facebook and her Instagram. She says some very important things about autism, about um, uh, 
standing up for autistic rights, but also she's she's funny. She's funny. Yeah. Yay! Yeah. See how important funny is, you guys? We are funny. We're funny. What's one thing in your routine you couldn't possibly live without? Absolutely. Uh, dog, cat, or must I choose? Cat. Cat, 100%. <laughs> and the last question, what does autistic joy mean to you? Autistic joy to me is where I can drop all the masks and be completely confident and comfortable being myself and being in a space where that is acceptable and open. Nice. It's funny how so often we have to mask and that does draw joy away of day-to-day -day things. It does. Stealer of joy. That's what it is. Yeah. All right. Well, that just about does it for us, you guys. That is episode three of Infodump Files. We have done it. We are cataloging the interests of autistic people all over the globe. Come share yours. Come listen to others. Come have fun because that's what we're going to do. We're going to make autism fun, and we're going to show you that we're funny and fun at the same time. So uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bruce, for being here with us from across the globe. Much appreciated. Much. And uh, we look forward to maybe having you back, but definitely I look forward to at least listening to some of your music, especially the new stuff. So um, I will try and put links in my description of your stuff if you want to send me links. Um, I would love for everybody to go and listen to what happens when you just let yourself be authentic. Thank you. Thank you.